you remember Doug Christie? Uh, yeah, the basketball player. Yeah. With the Kings, right? Yeah, his wife is a crazy person. <laughs> uh, also, for what it's worth, Mr. Trubisky did not have a go-off game this year. His best okay. His best game yardage-wise was against the Lions. He threw 338 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. That was his best game. From, from 2016, Jackie has always been very protective but on the episode of season five of Basketball Wives, she reveals that she still goes to great lengths to make sure that he's being faithful to her. <laughs> on the show, she told Shawnee O'Neill about how she routinely performs a, quote, ball status check on the former NBA player to see if he's been cheating. <laughs> hey, come here. Doug, come here. I got to sniff your balls. I gotta make sure they haven't been anywhere else. Here's an on-the-record quote about how she performs this check. <laughs> balls have a certain amount of weight. Usually they're full. But if they've been emptied, that's usually after intercourse or no, sex, then they're kind of smaller, and they're emptier, and they kind of shrivel up, and they're little. That's what I was talking about when I was explaining to Shawnee. All you have to do is just look. If it's emptier and they're little and they shrivel up, then they've been emptied somewhere. No, bro, maybe it's cold. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> that's, that's not like... That's and, and oh, that's, who is this person? What, Jackie Christie? Jackie Christie, Doug Christie's wife. <laughs> and like... <laughs> Jackie, what are you doing, bro? That is that is You're very much like years the, old. The, the latest installment in in like Jackie Christie is an odd person, and her relationship with Doug Christie seems to be somewhat fraught oh. at times. It's it's fun. They're fun. That's so funny. Oh, Doug Christie's also such a goofy looking guy. Doug and Jackie Christie renewed vows for the 23rd time. <laughs> ah, this is Cheeseheads in Chicagoland, an introspective podcast about nature. Here on hey, I can talk about the urban pigeon for fucking hours. I wrote a, like, a hundred-page script all about a professor about the pigeon. Here on episode 63 of Cheeseheads in Chicagoland, we... Begin our pivot to the urban pigeon. <laughs> Episode one, the urban pigeon. I'm Mike from my beautiful pigeon-free estate here on the south side, joined by my cats who would love it if I brought some pigeons home and Matt Mellum setter. I live in a pigeon estate. There is one pigeon in our estate and we, we study him extensively. Pigeons. Is he one of the shiny ones? Uh, no, he's not a shiny one. He's a plastic pigeon. I like the shiny ones. They're cool. They're cool. It's here's the thing with the pigeon is uh so like the there's there's different pigeons. What we see is the urban pigeon is the feral pigeon. Um and it's 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 morphed from the the homing pigeons and the wild pigeons. And the homing pigeons were kind of what were used in like wartime to deliver messages and stuff. They can always know where their home sure. is. Sure. Nowadays they're more standing pigeons. Yes. Now nowadays they've kind of become feral pigeons. Once they land, they're home. They're home. They're done. They're not flying again. Um and so both the homing pigeon and the wild pigeon used to be able to fly at speeds of up to seventy miles an hour. 
which is insane. Homing there have been some developments. There's been front. some developments on that front. Homing pigeons could actually, I think, fly up to 95 miles an hour. Like they were tipping 100. And the reason they had to do that is because their biggest uh, predator in the wild was the peregrine falcon. Big, fast yeah. predator. But as in the 70s, you know, as we, in the 80s, I think also, as we started using the aerosol stuff, and I forget what the uh, stuff in the, the, the bug spray was. Chlorofluorocarbons? Sure. It's, it, no, it was, it was like, like a, a specific CDT thing. or something like that. Like uh, a propellant. Yeah. And <clears throat> that killed a lot of peregrine falcons. It, 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 it okay, sent wow. the peregrine falcon into uh, endangerment. And so, and they're really hard to breed in captivity as well. So like, um, <clears throat> even if, you know, um, even if, like, you know, they had them and scientists had them and breeders had them, it didn't matter. They didn't want to breed in captivity. They want to breed in the wild. <clears throat> but they've slowly been able to, to figure out, and uh, I believe Cornell University, which is where my script is based at, is, is has been one of the leaders in this. And they've now introduced 12 uh, peregrine falcons into New York City. And so the fat They're pigeons are just getting fucking murdered. They're trying to speed up the pigeons. <laughs> they're trying to. They're like, yo, you pigeons have gotten too big, bro. You got to get back to flying and, and, and scooting around. You're just walking everywhere. Holy shit. I love it. Yeah. And so peregrine <laughs> falcons, uh, I don't believe we have any in Chicago. There's 12 in New York City. Um, I think there's a few in Boston. Um, but, I would love yeah. it if I was just watching a pigeon sort of hop along the platform <laughs> and a falcon just 200 miles yeah. an hour scoops down, picks him up and flies away. We should have large birds of prey in this city. Yeah, we've got enough coyotes <clears throat> because they will they will hit the pigeons first. Like there's the cat population would also suffer <laughs> for a while. Yeah, you guys are not allowed yeah. outside. Yeah, you guys wouldn't be going outside <laughs> much anymore. Um it was CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons. CFCs. Yeah. So those killed a lot of uh, the peregrine falcons and, and drove them into endangerment. Uh, but we are slowly reintroducing them to their natural habitats. Um, and by natural habitats, I mean the city where they thrive. <laughs> I mean, New York City. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like... New York City and Boston and uh, I believe San Francisco, maybe. That's the other one. Um I don't think they would survive in Chicago, if I remember correctly. It just gets too cold. Um, yeah, so that's my lecture on... Uh, Maybe we need owls, then. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'd love some owls. I miss owls from South Dakota, man. Who in at night? Yeah, because that would definitely help the rat populations, which are absolutely more active at night. Yeah, I pulled... Natural, natural prey for, for big old owls. I, uh, I uh, was backing out of my... Uh, driveway this morning or out of my I don't have a driveway I have a garage in the alley I was backing out of my alleyway <clears throat> and I don't know if I ran it over or if it was already frozen and I flattened it but uh, I flattened a rat today felt a little boom, boom. When I was, I <laughs> that's probably already frozen boom. flat icy rat I was like, damn I'm not picking that up <laughs> that's gonna be there for the next three years Shit. <laughs> that's never moving uh, yeah so it was one of the things I enjoyed about walking to work downtown in the very early morning. I worked mm -hmm. at like four in the morning yeah, making croissants and you get into like the side street. I worked on Walton Street right in the Gold Coast. Oh, okay. And yeah. 
you turn onto that and like there's no car traffic or anything, so you just see the rats kind of crossing the street. <laughs> Scurrying along. Scurrying at the around. Because I don't you know, one of the places that when you think about alleyways and such in Chicago, you mm-hmm. think about oh my neighborhood or your neighborhood that has an alley behind it. But the real alleyways, like yeah. the 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 urban hellscape are the downtown alleys yeah. in between the high rises. Oh my God. I, I remember having to go to the gold coast to pick up like tomato sauce and hot sauce for Lumalnati's one day. And I had to like park in one of those alleyways and it was, it was so dark and so tight. And there was so much like just food garbage bags just on the ground all around. And I was like, this is where rats will fucking this is yes. rat heaven that is where they live this is where they live they don't live in my alleyway well they sort of live around around sure. everyone else's alleyway but they really live yeah there and also the fact that we've essentially carved out an infrastructure underneath the entirety of downtown yeah like there's a you know the trains and the sewer pipes and everything headway and all that yeah everything that's under underneath there like a whole, you know, near the lakeshore, a whole another layer of the city that got paved over yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the little ant, ant hives under the ground, but rats love it too. <clears throat> That's our segment on pigeons. I am Mike Fleischman though. This is, this is Cheeseheads in Chicago. Are we recording and all that? Yeah. We, we recording yeah. that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I pretty much just turned this thing on once once we both put the headsets on. Great. Um, I'm Mike. That's Matt. Hey. Uh, we are from my beautiful south side of the state. There are no pigeons here. I wasn't lying about that. I bought magic cards. Yeah. Not Magic the Gathering. Did you ever play Magic the Gathering? No, but I had some, some friends that did. I bought real, actual magic cards, as in cards that are used to do magic tricks. I yes. found them at a thrift shop, and I am- um, They work. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm very impressed by by them. Like we have so, this particular set here. Yeah, is uh, you know, it looks very like normal. Like, mm-hmm. hey, look at all these cards. These cards are roughed so that that's not a two sided card. That's two cards that hold together because the backs of them have been treated in a way to make them like statically attract. Okay. Which means that like every, so every card in this deck has been yeah. put back to back with another card and they all equal 13 and hearts are paired with spades. Okay. So if you look at this, this bad boy right here, seven of spades is paired with the six of hearts. Okay. Equals 13. So if you, yeah, if I just say like, Hey, cut the deck yeah, and look at the card. Okay, that that those two didn't stuck to, stick together very well. Four, yeah, four. <laughs> but yeah, basically, like if you look at a card, I can then like pick it out of the deck by by looking on the opposite side and then being like, oh, it's the only one in the deck <laughs> that's upside down. Got it. <laughs> because I can like pull them apart yeah. theoretically. That's like, oh, so look, weird. Your card reversed itself, huh? And pointed itself wow. out to you. Magic is something that. You know, even you're explaining it to me and I see how it works. I'm, I see it, but I don't get it. This it's, is our new podcast where we, we reveal the secrets of magic. Yeah. After talking about pigeons. Um, Mike's going to try and, and, and uh, uh, Mike's got a cauldron going in the kitchen. Um, we're going to try and summon the devil uh, and just see what we can, 
we'll see what we can get. You Coming know, up in part two. Yeah, we're we're we'll speak to him later. Uh, we got an interview with with uh, Satan himself. So far, I've summoned a pot of coffee out of the cauldron <laughs> in my kitchen. <laughs> Coming up at minute forty six of this podcast, we'll be yeah. speaking with. Uh, yeah, skip ahead after the five minute long like Black Sabbath interlude that we do. <laughs> I'm gonna start talking. I'm gonna start talking in Latin. Yeah, uh, I'm talking in tongues the rest of this episode. All right. Have you ever watched the YouTube compilations of like televangelists? I hate it. No, I. No. I grew up too Catholic to, to have any tolerance of of that nonsense. Uh, <laughs> I don't really get it. I saw Midsummer, which was I'm fascinated. <laughs> I'm fascinated by Protestantism. Yeah, it seems really interesting. It's. It's bonkers. Yeah. No offense to any Protestants sure. out there listening to the podcast. I'm sure I was raised Lutheran. I'm sure, you're wonderful Protestant? people. Sort of. Yes, that okay. is absolutely well, Protestant. Yeah, I know. I taught Sunday school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I studied the lesson immediately right before I taught it. I skipped a lot of Sunday school. Had a really hard time. As you should have. Had a really hard time compelling my attendance at yeah. catechism lessons. That's fair. Um, I am just fascinated by Protestantism. Yeah. Because. Catholicism is understandable in in a way of like it is a giant ancient European power structure. Yeah, they literally control a city state. They are it's unbelievable. They are a concentrated top down hierarchy of power. And and they have to be the richest organization on earth, right? Probably yes. Yeah, or maybe not Amazon level rich. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I I think. Just the the far-reaching ability of. I mean, I think if you started, yeah, if you started to put a value on their real estate holdings, yeah. you might you might get there. I'm I'm not sure about the actual numbers, but the idea is that you understand the idea of of Catholicism, whereas Protestantism is the offshoot. It has never been grounded in a centralized power structure. Yeah. It is it is completely decentralized and broken apart and atomized, which I think holds a lot of similarities to what we talk about when when we talk about modern society and the atomization and the individualization yeah. of of everyone from from everyone else yeah and we no longer see ourselves as as connected to the whole i think protestantism has a unique way of speaking to us in our current sure. times but in that way it's very fascinating because it can look like whatever it wants to look like you know it can look like the the guy on public access television who i used to watch in milwaukee who would have broadcast out of Atlanta and you know, his, his like, he's just spent hours on TV being like, don't do drugs. <laughs> don't was he like drink. in a church? Don't drink. He would be like at a desk in oh, like, a okay. very cheap, cheap television studio. Just letting you know, yeah. don't have premarital sex. Yeah. Don't, don't drink liquor. <laughs> you know, just, or you know, you handling the fucking snakes yeah. or, or speaking in tongues or <laughs> don't, Touch a snake, or from like the most absolute like milk toast, like we're Methodists, to like yeah. we Which, we handle falcons around yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, I have a falcon on my left arm. Um, shout out to the Methodists. I think they're the ones that are breaking away from the church because the church doesn't support gay marriage. Right? Shout out to the Methodists. That's the I have schism. no idea. Yeah, I think that's the schism. Is I think it's it's traditional method Methodist is going to stay. Being anti-gay marriage and, and dumb shit, but the I think I, if I remember correctly, a good majority of Methodists are shifting to like the United Methodists or something, um, which is is pro-gay marriage. Yeah, I've never. 
when I was uh, when Amy and I met when we were in high school, her family went to a Protestant church that I think could loosely be described as evangelical, mm-hmm. and I went to that service once. I've been to like one or two Protestant services in my life. Yeah. And yeah. For for me, it's just the whole thing is like it's just too loose. You can't have religion yeah. without like hard like, structure. Now is the time when we are standing. Yes. Now is the time when we are sitting. Now is the time when we are kneeling. Yeah. No, the Protestant is just kind of like, well, our our pastor ripped this sermon off the internet and he's going to give it yeah. and now we're going to sing a song and this guy with a soul patch is going to play acoustic guitar <laughs> yeah. we're going to put a there's, powerpoint up on the screen there's going to be a a shiny very small drum set behind one of those clear plastic screens yeah. up on stage <laughs> this guy jeff who you think you recognize from the roller rink is playing the drums <laughs> when i went to when i went to church for christmas a few years ago Passed around the offering basket, um, and in front of each pew was a, a little thing that you could put into the offering basket, which says, like, I donated online or whatever, but so you didn't feel bad, I guess, whatever, fuck off. And um, uh, it also said, if you would like to donate your stocks from your retirement account, Holy from your shit. 401k, <laughs> from, like, your Roth IRA. Bitcoin? Like, yeah, I was like, Fuck you! Get out of here! If you don't have cash to give, that's fine. Don't like donate. It. It's just going to be spent on a new fucking altar. It's brazen. It's not going to like go it. to anyone who needs that money. They're going to build it on a new two million dollar organ. Don't trust churches. It's a bad, <laughs> bad structure. When I was a kid, the heater in our church failed, and so church got very cold for a little while. And they like had this big drive for all the parishioners to to fix the heat, mm-hmm. and it. Yeah, I was a kid, so I didn't have a structural understanding of, like, the Catholic hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just kind of thought it was, like, you know, it engenders this us-against-the-world mentality of, like, we're just a bunch of fucking Coldman Westerners, you know, all keeping our big puffy blue coats on inside church, just trying to get by. Abandoned together. Be, yeah, abandoned together, like, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> the the church has, yeah. tr- like, a trillion dollars in unlimited resources. The church could build a literal nuclear reactor yeah. inside St. Mark's Fuck Catholic you. Church you do not in need, Schofield, Wisconsin. You do, not, <laughs> you do not need the hundred parishioners to come together. Yeah. And donate money to build a new heater. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the Pope. Have you ever been to the Vatican? No, I have not ever. Been I to went the to the Vatican, and I've never been more in awe of a place. It is absolutely unbelievable. It's it's massive, and they have jewels, and everything is fucking gold, and it's these massive art pieces, and and I walked out going. That would have been really cool if it was like, you know, uh, the Italian government showing off their heritage. (laughs) You know, I would have been like, oh, that's really cool if this was like, you know, the Italian people being like, this is what, you know, our people made in 1200 and this is our museum. But instead it was like horrifying. (laughs) It's like you used all this money not helping people, but instead to build a massive gold enshrined yep it's very gilded yep. yeah and you can't have any yeah you cannot have any not that's allowed. for me the pope yes. and my cardinals <laughs> it's not for you people who 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 come to church every day and donated all this money and gave us all your uh tithing and and or tithing or what's the word i think it's tithing tithing um yeah it's not for you at all 
Thank you for it, though. We're going to enjoy it. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh, some, you know, we're, we're airing grievances today. Yeah. My other experience with Protestant church was that I know a I know a dude back in my hometown who is, uh, he's definitely good people. Mm-hmm. We'll keep him anonymous for the, for the sake I of this totally story. Fair. He was, uh, he has been involved at various levels with church worship bands for a long time. Sure. And, but like also has been involved in some of the absolute like heaviest and most insane music to come out of my hometown. Yeah. Yeah. And, but when I was like 18 or 19, I was, I played drums and, wrote music for this insane hippie collective band that we had yeah that we were very much like the the band happened out of the fact that like a bunch of people who could play instruments would find themselves on the floor of a certain person's house yeah a lot God. it it sounds like um olivia tremor control it it has a bit of uh, like somebody's got a singing saw, somebody's got a yeah. Oh, someone harmonica. had a, someone had a flute, someone had a yeah. sitar, someone had a saxophone. Yeah, and so we recorded like we the most together <laughs> we ever got ourselves was like recording a weekend's worth of of nonsense, and like it made us have to try and rehearse and such, which is not a, a <laughs> not was not really good yeah. for us at that point. <laughs> but we had to we had to stick this project together. Yeah. And because it was all done on like, I don't know if it was dat tape or mini disc or or something. Yeah. But we pastiched it together using the sound system of this guy's church where he was in the worship band. So fun. And he, well, as we were like, so we're in the church, like after hours, like at this big console and like, we're trying to, you know, mix it and, and, you know, add, make it sound good. And, you know, the, the recordings itself are just like set six hippies yeah. in a room. And like, you know, there's like two different <laughs> girls who both think that they're Stevie Nicks yeah. singing off key, like, <laughs> yeah. like just like full on, full on freak out stuff. Hey man, it's art. It was, it was art. It was, it was wild. But he, he reveals to us that like he had, he knew that this, we were going to try and record this for a while. Yeah. He had switched churches. To get access to the church that had the better equipment. <laughs> yeah, that that's how us you record. do it. That's how you do it. The hippie project. <laughs> so just shout out. Good guy, man. That's good people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if uh, if anyone out there has a recording of that, like, and I know like friends of mine from back then will know what I'm talking about and and have heard this. Can you can you like? Send me a hard copy of, of that. Send me to Matt Melmsetter at Gmail. Yeah, send Matt Melmsetter a copy of that as well. Some of that is. I do a lot of driving. I'd love to listen to it. I bet I would listen to it now and, and be both mortified and thrilled. Yeah. Like very happy that it exists, but also like kind of, kind of. It's a moment of, in time. Yeah. It's a very much a moment in it's time. It's a frozen moment in time, man. No media is inherently worth more than anything else. <laughs> oh, no, Matt Melzer's lecture on postmodernism, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, when the uh, when the sign gets detached yeah. from the signifier, you are in big trouble. When I hit, like... Baudrillard and such yeah. in college this time oh. through my mind just like split open <laughs> it's too much every time I would read like or have to write I remember writing a um, I had a professor that told me I was wrong about something and I said no I'm not and so I wrote a 10 page paper proving how I was right for my final 
and it was just like a bunch of uh, Baudrillard and um, like the cinematic apparatus, which is the which for him was like the idea that when you're a baby, you look up at your mother and you accept everything from your mother with no filter. Sure. And so when you're in a theater, it's all dark. And you're just looking at the screen and you're supposed to accept it as an audience. You typically, he says that you accept whatever the screen is giving to you with no filter. You're, you're feeling it and seeing it. And it's, you know, this, this flawless medium or something. Um, and it was just, I would, I would read all this stuff and I was just like, after like one piece of writing, I was just like, okay, my brain is mush. (laughs) So my brain is not keeping up. (laughs) Uh, tough that stuff hurts yeah because of course like well I, I sort of get it but that lends itself to Freudian, Freudianism yeah very oh, quickly immediately yeah like immediately lends yep. itself to to that idea and also who's going to theaters anymore. all the time yeah <laughs> anymore like who's only taking in movies on the theater not many anymore. I mean, Netflix running the game. Yeah, I've got I've got Netflix going. I've got seven podcasts playing simultaneously <laughs> while I'm watching Netflix and reading a book. While I'm reading a book and playing <laughs> a video game, we're my brain is as bad as any modern brain. Yeah, I just I, I really appreciated going back to college at 36 after like 20 years as a wage worker, and you know, I had been out of college for about 15 years at that point. And getting back into it and catching up on some things because I was like a science major. The last yeah. time I was in college, I took a little bit of philosophy and some psych stuff. But getting back into it and and getting some of this like Marxist stuff and and some of the very structuralist stuff and going, oh, oh, someone should have explained this to me a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this, this is, is very much are. because yeah. You know, if if you want if you want an education in like in understanding the sort of building blocks of the world, like work a trade for 15 years. Yeah. You'll, you'll get one. Yeah. You'll, you'll learn how stuff is put together and, and some of the bullshit well-intentioned messages from, from media and like distant sources. And I don't mean to be all like, Oh, you know, the, the liberal East coast media thing, but like uh, if, those liberals in their ivory castles. Yeah. If you, if you bake a lot of bread, you know, at one in the morning in Dallas, Texas yeah, and <laughs> for a lot of years, yeah. like, like I understand the sympathy to those kind of messages of like don't trust the the people in their ivory towers yeah. because they're not talking what you're talking. I just I have a different view on it because I don't think it's so much poorly intentioned. I don't think that the answer to that is you know being a Republican. No, <laughs> but, no. But at the same time, going back to college was kind of fun because it helped me put a name on a lot of stuff that I just learned. You feel. Yeah, you learn it and feel it by being a worker for long enough. Absolutely. This is Pigeons in Chicagoland, a podcast about about pigeons and and the cinema. Uh, Let's take a, a quick break and we'll be back with an entirely different podcast after this. We've got Satan on the on the show now. Oh yeah, right. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne will be joining us. <laughs> uh, he's going to eat a pigeon live on stream. Yeah, <laughs> he just flew in from Cleveland, and We're boy, are go. his arms tired. We're going to go live on Twitch for this one. <laughs> Coming up will be my Legend of Zelda 100 percent stream. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
and Joe Biden will join us <laughs> for the final final segment <laughs> for his uh, for his segment entitled "Well Heck Guy." <laughs> well Heck, I got to talk about corn pop. Yeah. <laughs> well Heck, down at the swimming pool. <laughs> it's all content, baby. People make fun of PT Cruisers, but why? It's a good car. They're still out there. They're still out there. They're still they, rolling they sur- around. They survived cash for clunkers. Yep. And and his his kind of statement is, you know, it's it's when the PT Cruiser was new, it was purchased by older people who it reminded them of their childhood and the retro sure. styling of their childhood. And those people typically had money to spend on maintenance and preventative maintenance and keeping up with it and everything. It and was like Deco if Deco looked like shit. Yes, exactly. And um, then as they aged out and dropped in value, nobody wanted them. And so they go to, you know, people who cannot afford a car. And he was like, a big part of the PT Cruiser hate is... Poor people. I'm not poor. I'm not poor. I drive a different car. I drive a Honda. Those are PT Cruisers are not for me. Those yeah. are for poor people. And he's like, that's so fucked up. He's like, the PT Cruiser is a fine car. It's It inherently has value because it's a car that drives. It's a good car. I don't know. Just a really good YouTube video that I've watched like four times. <laughs> that's, that's, that sounds absolutely <laughs> fantastic. My the uh, The best car that I've ever owned and... I say this both ironically and without a hint of irony yeah. simultaneously is a 1992 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme station wagon. Yeah. My best friend in high school drove a 1995 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. Not a station wagon, but... Absolute fucking tank of a yeah. car. Oh, my I was, God. I was just... I was living in Milwaukee and my, my... I had a blue minivan that I was using as like a band van and also my own personal mm-hmm. transportation. All the seats were out of the back of it and it was, it died and bad things happened to it. Yeah. And this was after I had like a silver minivan and another, another various bunch Fun. of terrible cars. And I was up at home and I just mentioned offhand to my father-in-law who had like had a knack for seeing cheap cars on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Cause he had pointed me towards a couple of them and he's like, and I know a cheap car up on the side of the road you should go look at. Yeah. And it's a 1992 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme Station Wagon for $600. Great price. On the side of the road. Yeah. And I go up there and actually they had 900 on the sticker. Yeah. And I go and take a look at it and I'm like, I love it. It's a piece of garbage though. Like yeah. it, it's not... It's not been well maintained or anything. Mm-hmm. It's It's dirty. It's a wreck. But like... You know, I'll buy it and I tell the guy, I'll buy it for six hundred bucks. And he's like, Absolutely not. I need nine hundred for it. Like this this car means a lot to me. Well, that doesn't matter to and me. So I basically I wrote my phone number down on a on a piece yeah. of paper and I was like, Call me if you decide 
to sell me this car for six hundred dollars because like basically the idea was like I have six hundred dollars. Yeah. And I will I give have it, it to now. You. Yeah, I have it right now. Yeah. And we could do this. He calls me less than two hours later. <laughs> of course. And he's like, My wife thinks I should sell you this car. <laughs> like I agree with her very much. Yeah. Uh so I cleaned up the car a little bit and I drove it for uh, three and a half years. Good. Yeah. Right. Uh, got it out of, out of $600. Yeah. It turns out, and I learned this about a year into its life, that that car had originally belonged to the family of a kid I went to high school with who in the late nineties gave it to him yeah. as his car to drive when he got his driver's license. So some of the things that I thought were funny about it, like the, the plastic, like stylish hubcaps yeah. that had been stuck on it were done <laughs> by by this kid that I knew in high school. That you probably saw this car around yeah. the lot. Oh, yeah. I saw this car around the lot. That's so he fun. He had like done things to it in the 90s that he thought would look cool as like a 90s kid who was yeah. on the basketball team. Yeah. And so then like there's me in 2000 and, oh, you know, 2008 yeah. living in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. You know, <laughs> driving this driving car around. Driving this car around. That's so funny. Yeah. Like driving around Rocky Bolden's 1992 yeah. <laughs> Oldsmobile Cutlass wagon in Dallas, Texas. And it's like rust and pieces of it are yeah. falling off and the brakes don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Gets you from point A to point B. That's oh, all it needs to do. Oh, that car. That's, you know, my, my, my friend Tevin had a, a bright red Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme 1995. He got for $2. $2. $1 was the minimum. Uh, you cannot give a car away for free. Costs nope. one dollar to transfer the title. So the guy said, "You know what? Two dollars." Kevin <laughs> said, "Sold." And he drove that all through high school, and then his dad drove it when he left for college. And his dad drove it for five or six years, um, and I think it was this year it broke down finally. And I got Shit. a text from him. Saying, oh my god! Hey man, the red rocket's gone. And he got it at like a hundred and eighty thousand miles and drove it until the odometer broke in high school and then his dad drove it for another bunch of years and that thing was a massive i remember us sliding into snowbanks and the thing just obliterating snowbanks and just a massive massive tank of a car we did that to a toyota prelude when i was in high school <laughs> we um one of my friends there was a junkyard in his family yeah i won't say his family owned it because that would imply too much of an active involvement with the junkyard. Um, but they had like a whole, it existed they in had a, a field full of sure. junk. Sure. And existed there was this all over it. Prelude. Yeah. In it. And so we pulled it out and, yeah. um, you know, put an exhaust system on it and like put a transmission in it. Yeah. I didn't know how to do any of this. Yeah. I was just sort of there drinking cheap beer in the background. Just saying, yeah, yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like we basically like took turns driving this thing, yeah. like this two door, like rusted out sports car with like you know some seat from another car yeah, bolted into the front, yeah. and like a a stick shift from somewhere else, yeah. <laughs> you know, stuck onto the stuck onto the engine of it, and like just took turns driving it around. Like it did not occur to us that like you need like licenses and registration yeah. and and ah, such for for hey, these vehicles. That's how I learned how to drive, man. I. <laughs> I learned how to drive, driving around Aberdeen, South Dakota in my mom's uh, 2000 Lexus RX 300, a big SUV. Um, I had no license. I did not take any driver's ed. I drove around the parking lot with my dad one time, 
And then I said, Mom, I want to go to the gym and play basketball. She said, well, can somebody pick you up? And I said, no, I think I can drive. She goes, all right, sure. I think I know how to drive. Yeah. I was like, I get it. I play the video games. So I learned how to drive. Just driving out, <laughs> driving to the sure. gym and back. Yeah. A couple times a week. Um, man, I love cars. I wish I could do work on cars. That's my my ultimate when I get to 50, you know. I want to be able to have the free time to work on my own cars. Man, I've been driving my my little car for for six years now. I have a cousin who works at a uh, Porsche dealership garage, mm. uh, and Man. he's trying to to get his stature up to where he works for the Porsche racing team. Whoa, yeah. that would be. So He's cool. Pretty good with the cars. That would be yeah. so cool. Oh. I tell my car I love I love it every single time I get in, every time I get out. I like my current car, the pattern uh, on the 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 Black Rav 4 from from oh, 07. That's a good car. It's a good car. Yeah. I drive a 04 BMW 325XI, got the all-wheel drive. She's beautiful. They're beautiful. Excuse me. Uh, it's wonderful. Is your is your car gender neutral? Uh, it fluctuates. It fluctuates. It, sometimes I call it a, a her, and I don't mean to. It it you know I it it hasn't decided, and so I don't want to put that on it. It's just a it's it's my partner. What okay, I, I call it. Sure. It's, it's it's we're we're a, we're a couple. We work together. I I I take them to work, and and they earn me the money, and and we live our lives. Together. I've never named a car. I never named this one. My wife named one of my cars. Really? What you name? I, I had a I I bought a 1985 Nissan Sentra two door. Oh, and I fun. bought I bought it in like 2011. Yeah, and I d- delivered pizzas in it. Yeah, and um, actually I did I did name it, but Amy had the like Amy was pretty key in that. Mm-hmm. I I I I picked it up and basically like I took it to her warehouse. And I was going to like throw some fabric over the back seats because they were all blown out and torn up. And so I get there and I send her a picture of the car. And I, the caption of the car, of the picture is, I've decided to name it Humility. <laughs> because it was, you know, it was yeah. a pretty blown out old vehicle. Yeah. And um, so I just get a text back that reads, Your car is an Amish stripper. <laughs> 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 Which I appreciate oh, a lot. 1985 Nissan Sentra. Nissan Sentra Coupe. And if you look at the Google images for it, yeah, make sure to if you're trying to get a picture of what this car was, yeah, it had the the Nissan logo printing along the uh, the bottom door panel. Oh. I can't find any that have that, but I can picture it in my my mind's eye. Yeah, it was like a gun gunmetal silver. Yeah, that one looks really. Yeah, really that nice. well, that's a that's a, the sport that's the sport edition. Okay, uh, the one that the one that I had was this car. Oh, yeah, that's pretty. Oh Man. man. this car is pretty. Yeah, <laughs> mine was was not not pretty. I don't see. I just I think that the 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 designs of those like eighties, early nineties, kind of boxier, 
before we before the United States instituted all the safety regulations, <laughs> made everything so much bigger uh, and everyone so much safer. Um, the '80s just had such cool cars. Those old Preludes were so neat. The old Civics were super cool. The old the old Toyota uh, 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 Corollas with the flip up lights are maybe one of my favorite cars ever. <laughs> the AE86. If you're looking for the Toyota I'm talking about, look up the AE86. I know that's Japanese domestic market. We got the AE88. But it's the same same thing. AE88 Toyota Corolla with the flip-up lights. Ooh, it's a beautiful vehicle. Yeah, that was a neat one. Um Amy drove a Honda Civic in high school with the flip-up headlights. Yeah. Yep. Go Amy. Yeah, she had a, a cool Honda That's Civic. That's cool. From from way back in the day. Gotta love Honda Civics are so much fun, man. I love a good Honda Civic. Yeah, that was a fun car. Honda Accords. Honda knows what they're doing. They've always known what they're doing. We drove that thing to Florida. We drove it all around creation for a while. Good. Got a tape player. Yeah. Man. Do you have like a, a tape book with all the tapes in it? I had a tape. I had like a tape or two. I had a big, I was one of those guys who had a big CD collection and a big CD booklet. So okay. like we had a, uh, a little, you know, CD Walkman with a tape adapter oh, that we'd use a lot. Genius. But I remember kind of towards the, there was, there was one road trip that we went on where I only had a couple of tapes. Mm-hmm. I had nothing shocking by Jane's addiction. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And, and like, that's <laughs> just what we listen to on that drive. I've, my, my best road trip story is, is, um, I drove up to, uh, I drove up to, uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota with, with my mom and my, my girlfriend in high school at the time. And the only CD, see, I have like 50, 75 CDs. I have a b- couple booklets full of CDs sorted by genre in my car. But for whatever reason, the only thing I played the whole road trip, this is from Everdeen to Sioux Falls, three hours both ways. So six hours back and forth. The only CD I played the entire time was in the airplane over the sea. Oh, my God. <laughs> six hours, played about 10 times through <laughs> the whole road trip. Uh, they both hated me. Oh, yeah. I think that's why uh, <laughs> it's why our relationship broke off. <laughs> I think I, I, I planted the seed early. Um <laughs> you can't like you can't make other people listen to <laughs> well i did you just can't you just can't do that well i did um i made them listen to uh <laughs> communist daughter Ten times oh my christ oh comely over and over and over again <laughs> One of my hopes and dreams for my life is that someday I will say something with as much conviction and passion as Jeff Magnum says, I love you, Jesus Christ, on that album. (laughs) Yeah, I will. I've I've yet to find anything I care that much about. That line comes from like below the earth. Yeah, that comes from 10,000 years ago. Yeah. Before yeah. humankind had oh, morphed it's... into humanity, and it's like this guttural bellowing, and it's just like a crazy person from Cleveland. Yes, 
God, from he was in Atlanta, Georgia, okay. I think, when they yeah. recorded it. I think that's where. Yeah, I forgot where he was. Where he was from? If they were out of the elephant six. from like that Athens music scene. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think that was Athens. Yeah, not not Atlanta, because that was. I think that was Elephant Six with with Neutral Milk Hotel and Olivia Tremor Control and second Olivia Tremor Control reference today. So yeah. <laughs> shout out, I guess. Uh, come on the show, Jeff Mangum, if you want to come out of hiding. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I uh, was uh, when I was in high school. I was about ten seconds away from purchasing a ticket to um, a Jeff Mangum solo show in Iowa City. Um, it was a nine-hour drive from where I lived, and I had prom the next day, <laughs> and I was so close to doing it, and I didn't do it, and it's maybe my biggest regret okay. in life. Understandable. Because he's never done a show since. Um, so, Jeff, you want to come on the show? Um, please. Yeah, it's Cheeseheads in Chicago, and the best, <laughs> listening. best podcast about Neutral Milk Hotel <laughs> that, that you can actually... Listen to. They should have tackled Raheem Mostert. Yeah, they should have done that. <laughs> they um, really, they really could have tried tackling uh, Raheem Mostert. That would have gone well. Niners did a good job they of. Did. You know, it's it's you're running the ball that much. You want to get the defense. If you're Mike Patton, you don't want to have the defense in in nickel or dime. You know, because uh, you don't want Kevin King tackling a lot. You, you want him in coverage and stuff, but. Going to base with B.J. Goodson, you know, the Packers don't have a sideline-to-sideline side type of linebacker, and the Niners just took advantage of that with so much sweeps and so much motion and jet sweeps and orbit motion and stuff like that. And Yeah, linebacker, linebackers got caught up field oh, frequently. Constantly. I saw a, a stat um, that in the first half, Mostert had like 109 yards before contract in the first half alone, and it was something like 145 oh. for the game. And he had like 200 and something, I believe, if I remember correctly. It's the only time in the playoffs somebody's had 200 yards and four touchdowns. So a historic performance. Um, um, but yeah, anyways, do you want to talk about music or something? <laughs> Didn't go so well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was sad. I, I was I was fairly sad. But, you know, the I, Niners were a better team. I made beef and barley soup and... Ate that a lot, so it made Good. me feel a little bit better. The thing about the Niners is that the Seahawks and Ravens and Falcons beat them this year. Mm -hmm. The Falcons beat them because the Falcons woke up and started stabbing people. But yeah. <laughs> Falcons woke up with a knife in their yeah. hand and said, what do I do? Yeah, the Ravens were the best team in the league until they got to the playoffs and remembered that they were upstarts. Yeah. And the Titans handed it to him, and the Seahawks are a legitimately very good team. Yeah. And those are the only teams that have been capable of, of doing that kind of thing to him. I just, I do wish the Packers had been able to, I don't know, score points in the first half. That would have made great. me feel good. Would have been great. I would have appreciated that. But if you take a look at what that defense does to people. Yeah. It's, oh man, that front line. That front line is very, very good. Un unbelievable. Um, yeah, you know the Niners just a really, really good team. You know, and, and it, there's never been a question about it. You know, it's it, I, after the game. You know, I saw a lot of of chatter about were the Packers overrated? Were the Packers, you know, the worst thirteen and three team of all time? No. Shut the fuck up. It doesn't matter. Um, 
they no, the worst thirteen and three team of all time can't beat the Seahawks. Yeah, worst thirteen and three team of all time does not win a playoff game. You know, it's it's that Seahawks team is good, and also uh, this the Packers overachieved. You know, it's it's when we came into this year. If you would have told me the Packers were going to be 13-3 and three in the first year of a new offense with a first-time head coach who's only had one year of play-calling experience, I would have said, no, I'll take the bet on the other side. It's- I'll put down my life savings that they do not go 13-3 and three and get a bye in the playoffs. You know, it's it's the Packers were a good team, a solid team that won every game in the division, won the division, Made the NFC Championship game. You know, it's 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 a good year in the first year of a of a of a head coach. That's a good start. And if you look at the 49ers, you've got a pretty good example of what kind of team you can build. Yeah. Because you and I talked about it from the beginning of the season onward that a lot of the teams that are having success right now are doing it on the rookie quarterback, mm-hmm. expensive players all around him. Option. The 49ers paid a bunch of money for Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. They went out and got their guy. He's got a bunch of money tied up in him. So the Packers can look at how the Niners have structured what they've done and think we've got to be able to do something similar. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing is Niners could have Rex Grossman behind center. Sure. Doesn't matter. They don't need a quarterback. They could play with no quarterback. I mean, Garoppolo's throwing the ball eight times. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's it doesn't very, matter. He's very good at throwing eight times yeah, he's, for he's seventy-seven yards. Excellent at handing the ball off. Um, but you know, I mean, you look at where the where, where the Niners were when Shanahan came in his first year, where the Rams were when McVay came in his his first year. You know, I I, I think the Packers are are ahead of schedule. Um, you know, it's it's this team wasn't expected to contend this year. Bears were expected to win the division again. You know, it's it's. All in all, it's you know it's hard. Hard. I always think that it's hard to call a season a success if it doesn't end on a win. You know, um, but uh, in the grander picture of things, I think that this year is is uh, a great year, and I think that there's a lot of really awesome moments. I think when you look at what is happening as a whole with the Packers right now, there's. There was a start. This wasn't supposed to fill. There's There were too many gaps to fill in yes. at the beginning of the season. The fact that they did so well is a combination. I will grant the haters the idea that this was an easier schedule than they'd faced of course. recently because they lost a ton of games last year. They were not number one in the divisions. Yeah. They did not play all the number ones. Um, they, they, had an, they had an easier schedule. They they started something though. They yeah. really did. They they paid a bunch of money and got a bunch of outside linebackers who'll be there for three more years. Yeah, and and that helps. Yeah, and you look at the Zedarius Smith contract with how he played. That's an underpay. Yeah, you know, I mean, he played miles beyond Khalil Mack this year, and Khalil Mack's getting paid almost a hundred million dollars more than him. You know, it's 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 they have minimal problems as far as who they are going to have to lock up money to to resign. Yeah. I, I think I'd be interested to see if they're going to re-sign Brian Balaga. I'm assuming that they are. Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that they're that. not re-signing Blake Martinez. Yeah, he was very be- sad. Because someone someone like the Carolina Panthers or the Cleveland Browns or someone with cap space is going to give him a, a whole a bunch of money. Bundle of money, yeah. But I'm assuming Kenny Clark... Getting, gets the money in the middle Kenny of Clark the defensive line. Give him as much money yep. as he asks for. Um, and you know, I, I was I was reading a thing the other day that 
the Packers uh, probably looking at about $45 million in cap space coming up in this next off season. And that's enough to get you a good selection of people, you know, and uh, if we can keep Blake, I think that's great. Cause uh, you know, I, I think Blake Martinez is a, is a really solid linebacker. He's, I don't think he's an all pro. I don't think he's a superstar, but he's, you know, he's a, a good field general. And at the end of the day, the problems with this team are, are, are that we don't have enough linebackers. You know, it's that we don't have enough inside linebackers, not that we don't have um, great ones. It's that we don't have a second good one. Um, you know, I, I, and playmakers and everything. It's a great class for wide receivers. So I think there's there's steps to be made in this next offseason. I'm excited to see where they go. Yeah, I'm very curious. I, I would like to I would like to see if Aaron Rodgers can play a bit better under pressure situations next year. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Me too. Um, I go, I'm, I'm a big Rogers defender in, in very much in the way of like, would, who would you rather have? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, uh, this guy's pretty darn good and has been, been around for a long time. And I, I don't know. I don't know uh, the list of guys out there that you could rather have that you could get. Yeah. That's the thing. Like there's a list of guys out there that I think I would, take over Rodgers as the starter on the team, but they're not available. Yeah, and even then... I, the guys know, who are available are David Blau. Yeah, it's <laughs> David Blau or David Blau-esque. You know, yep. it's, it's out of the guys I'd rather have than Aaron Rodgers. Russell Wilson? And that might be the end of the list for me. Hmm. Yeah, Russell Wilson, I'd, I'd take... I'd take Russell Wilson. I would take one Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I, one Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I guess Mahomes. Yeah. Uh, Deshaun Watson. I don't think I'd rather have Watson. Um, I would if rather. If the Saints have Mahomes. offer me a one-to-one swap of Breeze and Rodgers, I take it. Really? Yeah. Okay. I like Breeze. So that's yeah, that's I, a personal problem of mine. Yeah, I I think he's good. I I wouldn't take that. Um, yeah, I you know I I I suppose I would rather have Lamar Jackson. Yep. Um, he's so young. He's got such a long career ahead of him. You know, if 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 it, if I looked at just talent right now of of how do they play the position right now, I think I'd rather have Rodgers, just because of how he fits into this offense. But if you're building a career, I'd rather have Jackson, of course. Yeah, th- those guys. Duh. No one's picking up that phone call. No, though, no is one the, is the thing. Harbaugh is not picking up that phone call and saying, "You want to send me a 37 year old Aaron Rodgers for 22 year old Lamar Jackson?" All right, sure, sure. Let me just get in no my Nissan Sentra. <laughs> yeah, let drive me get on my down to the Sentra Coupe. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I, Aaron Rodgers here for the rest of his career, um, and you know, I, I think he'll play till he's 40, and I think he'll be pretty darn good till he's 40. I, I think, I think. You know, it, I was reading a thing the other day um, where they were talking about, uh, you know, why this team didn't go hurry up very often this year, why they didn't go tempo. And uh, there was a statement from LaFleur and Rogers kind of saying, like, we didn't have the time to install the hurry up offense yet. You know, it was in the training camp. We didn't get the hurry up offense installed by week one. So it wasn't available for us. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for a whole nother off season and another training camp and another year for LaFleur to uh, fully get everything in, you know, Matt Ryan with Kyle Shanahan's and his offensive coordinator in the, the Falcons in 2015, you know, he was, they kind of struggled. They were not great. 
And he said, you know, it just takes a little time. And in 2016, they were incredible. And Matt Ryan was like, well, it took a year for me and the team to learn the system and get the timing down and get everything down. And then they were unstoppable. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm, I'm very excited to see if Green Bay can find new people because this is the stage that we're at. They're not going to yeah. be playing. It's Super Bowl should be pretty good. Niners, Chiefs. Yeah. But very excited to see who they can find as as playmakers because I think we've seen the the difference between those teams that start to put something together and then those teams that really step up into the next level are those playmakers, the yeah. boundary guys. You've got Devontae Adams. He's, he's unbelievable. He's a playmaker. But and he's a playmaker in the like he is a pure wide receiver. Yeah, he's a very specific guy. Like you don't give it to him on reverses because yeah. eh, it's just it's not his game. Not particularly great at it. You know? Yeah, but not Debo Samuel's it's not his yeah, game. But I'm a gadget guy. These guys like Tyreek Hill. Yeah, are are pure playmakers. Just yeah. guys who make things happen with the ball in their hands. There's got to be, and you don't find them by playing it safe. You don't find oh. them by drafting Marquez Valdez Cantling. Yeah. You don't find them by drafting Jay Sternberg. You don't find them by drafting him in the fifth round. Yep. And you gotta take a swing. And you gotta swing. And I think we're gonna see look, Gutkunst he's taking swings. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know if he's he's uh con- considered for executive of the year. Certainly should be. Uh, as well as LaFleur for coach of the year. Sure, certainly should be. Um so I you know, I'm I'm Excited to see where they go. I can't wait for draft season to get rolling. It's a fun time of the year. Yep, should be should be a fun and the end. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of room. Yeah, the Packers can add a ton add of a bunch of players, and they they're it can't just be a one off like hey we spent some money this off season yeah kind of thing. They've got to continue being aggressive with that sort of thing. And then yeah. well the both of us as we were sitting at this very table last year at this time, looking at the roster going like you need to cut some dead weight yeah. and take some chances. They did that. Yeah. It worked out, but time to do it again. Time to do it again. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a whole list of whole list of guys taking up space on this roster that are doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. I mean Jimmy Graham posted a, a tweet the other day. I sent it to you, I think. Yes. I'm, I'm going to read it out loud. Um, Jimmy Graham said, this becomes harder every time you see others raise that trophy. I'm blessed and proud of these guys for battling to prove a lot of people wrong. Thank you for sticking by me for 10 years. I've given everything I have in pursuit of a ring. I'm in your debt for believing in me. Sounds kind of retiree. That sounds uh, retiree. You know, I think he has one year left on that contract. I Even if he didn't retire, I kind of don't expect the Packers to pick it up. No, I don't uh, either. Uh, you know, that's $10 million. That's a lot of money uh, for a guy who's, you know, he's been all right. He's been fine. Uh, he hasn't been the highest paid tight end in the game. Good. Um, so the thing that bothers me about Graham and it all is has is that you could have, you could still have Jared cook. Yeah. And for that's, less than 10 million a season. And that's right now it sucks. Cause <laughs> cook turned to cook's agent turned it down. Like, uh, yep. you know, like, like the, Packers offered him more than he got from the Saints, but his agent turned it down in pursuit of more money. Uh, and then the Packers signed Mercedes Lewis um, and rescinded their offer, and Jared Cook fired his agent. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it would have been great to have Jared Cook. Uh, I 100% agree. I think he would have been much better. Than That's one of the things that cost the, the old regime their yeah their jobs as yeah well. <laughs> yeah absolutely um, the the inability to get the guy on the roster yeah and 
yeah, we'll see what 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 Gukens does uh, this off season. I'm ecstatic for draft mock drafts to start coming and 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 all that jazz. You know, picking thirtieth, pretty deep, but Gukens has a propensity to make a, a few moves on draft day. So we'll see where where the Packers end up. There's some holes to fill on the offensive line at, at, at wide receiver at linebacker um, at at defensive end. Um, you know, Dean Lowry was all right this year. Lancaster, you know, not stellar. Um, yeah, you've got a, you've got a bunch of guys level. on that defensive defensive line. Like you've got Kenny Clark and some guys. Yeah, you, gotta, you need you got to have Kenny Clark and another name and another name and some guys. Yeah, you at least need a second name. Like yeah. Dean, Dean Lowry is a is a placeholder. Yeah, he's, Tyler Lancaster is a very large placeholder if you need to hold a very large place. Yeah, you know, they're good rotation guys, but you look at the Niners, why are the Niners winning games? It's because they got Bosa and D Ford and uh uh oh god, who's the last guy? It's a game of players. You got to have a lot of players. You got to have uh 53 of them. In fact, in fact, um, forty six to play the game. Um, so you know, DeForest Buckner, that's it. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, that guy's pretty good. He's he's really good. <laughs> Him and Bosa and, and D Ford are, are really, really, really good. Um, so yeah, just excited. You know, it's it's sad, it sucks. Um. I wallowed in in sorrow and drank my uh, two women uh, for a night, and now we're back in living life. The San Francisco 49ers have a chance to get Jaquaski Tart a Super Bowl ring. They should get him a Super Bowl ring. That's that name needs Super Bowl champion attached to the <laughs> Super end Bowl of it. champion Jaquaski Tart. Yeah. I, I also give uh, the 49ers a lot of credit. They are they're not like a name. I mean, DeForest Buckner is a pretty superb name. That's a Emmanuel Mosley is also very good. That's a good name. Like Raheem Mostert is good a good name. name. Jimmy Garoppolo, good name. Yeah, but they do have they have the 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 duo of they have a Quan and a Kwan. Yeah, because I. <laughs> I, I thought I was sort of half listening, and I thought that like Buck and Aikman yeah. were just interchanging it. Just, yeah, nope, they were right. Yeah, and that you've got Quan Alexander and Kwan Williams on yeah. the same team. So got Quan Williams with the tackle. Sorry, excuse me, Kwan Williams. Yeah, it's like I was like, oh, did Buck mess that up? Isn't it Quan Alexander? Nope, different different guys with cool names. Don't forget about Akella Witherspoon. Fuck, that's a good name. Uh, <laughs> that's a good name. <laughs> These guys are all vying for the Ebenezer Ekibon <laughs> name of the year award. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everyone wants to put a lot of respect on Debrickashaw Ferguson. Oh, a classic. Yeah, classic, but I don't know. Ebenezer Ekibon. Well, that's, that's an all-timer, too. Yeah. Ebenezer Ekibon is an absolute all-timer. Man, the Niners are just really good. You know, that's a by week six, we were kind of like, all right, Niners are maybe the best team in the NFC. Um, but you know, 14 and four on the season, including postseason games, pretty darn good year. Pretty darn good year. Let's uh, let's do it again next year, of course. Do you have a Super Bowl prediction, Niners Chiefs in Uh, Miami? 
I think the Niners will win. 21-17. All right, Niners 21-17. I... I'm trying to I'm trying to make like a matchup sheet in my head of how the Niners defense is going to match up against what the Chiefs do. Yeah. Offensively, um, they won't be able to cover, but they'll be able to get after the passer because I don't trust the Chiefs offensive line. Yeah, they can get at at Patrick Mahomes and I The trick with Mahomes is that you see a lot of these young quarterbacks who all of a sudden find themselves in a darn Super Bowl. Yeah. And they 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 have a rough go of it. Yeah. First time out. The thing about Mahomes is that he's got Andy Reid behind him. Yeah. Who is a genius. Who is good and a, a very a very good coacher of quarterbacks. Yeah. And, really, really, really good at it. And and a guy a guy who not just a coacher of quarterbacks, but a, a guy who puts talent in places to succeed. I don't know that he will let Patrick Mahomes come out and play any differently. Yeah. He's gonna have a great game plan. Um you know, but sometimes the game plan doesn't matter when you're going up against Nick Bosa and exactly D Ford and oh, I lost his name again. Oh no, <laughs> DeForest oh, well. Buckner. That's it. Yeah, DeForest Buckner. <laughs> runner, runner up in runner our up name, of the, name, of, the name of the year competition. Um, All right. So here's yeah. here's here's my here's my prediction. Uh, the returner for the Chiefs, McCole Hardman. Yeah, he's good. Makes a makes a game breaking play. Okay, and the Chiefs win thirty one twenty seven. All right, that's fair. That's th- that's mine. Good. I think the Niners got to play ball control. Got to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. Uh, don't let Jimmy throw it because then you'll lose the game. So run it forty times. There you go. We started talking about football. I was wondering if we were going to do this whole recording without <laughs> talking about football. I, I had to bring it up. Though. It's hard for I think yeah. it's hard for us to go an hour in our life, whether on mic or off mic, without talking about football. Sometimes if I'm just alone, I'll start talking to myself about football. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, we would have had to actively do it. Yeah, we were we were running out. We were already back on to. Back on the neutral milk hotel, which we <laughs> we looped around. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of our it's one of our common musical touchstones. Yeah, yeah it's we a, don't have too many of recurring them outside theme. of that. But the neutral milk hotel is definitely definitely one of them. Shout out to all the cars I've driven and all the weird hippies I've known. Yeah, shout out to throughout them. my life and yeah. shout out to whatever that that Protestant church was in in Wausau that we mixed our crazy hippie album onto. <laughs> God, what? now I'm going to have to figure out if that thing survived. I'm going to have to track that down. I know I don't have a copy of it. It's a good thing to get a copy of. Put it up on the SoundCloud. Yeah. We were really, it was, it's weird to have tried basically like been a hippie in the nineties. Yeah. The nineties were an odd time to be a hippie. Mm-hmm. Because there was yuppie era, and they were all like the the mainstream media was already kind of selling conformity and and like selling it in a way of like you could be a rebel, yeah, by drinking Mountain Dew. Like Mountain Dew had kind of figured out that yeah. and, and like Limp Biscuit was kind of already happening. Yeah, like the whole like commodification of like angry white male counterculture. Yeah, Lincoln was Park was occurring. Yeah, that was Green that Day. was about to occur. Yeah. 
I don't know if Green Day quite belongs there. Yeah, sure. I was I'll I was ninety six, yeah. baby. I'm I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm living in reverse here. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep Green I'll keep Green Day out of that discussion. Sure, but there's there's a lot of a lot of very angry entertainment for for people who who thought they were rebelling but didn't have a very wide social context for rebellion, which describes my childhood sure. in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, that was that was all happening. So to like take a very like we're wearing shawls like hippie turn, <laughs> yeah. it was I I appreciate that that happened. Yeah. That was that was a, a good time for that to happen because. I don't know. I've always been very skeptical. Like I like very aggressive things, but when they're, I felt like I, I have a nose for nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like when, of course, like when Marilyn Manson happened in like 1994 <laughs> or 95. Yeah. I was really into like the, you know, the, DC and LA hardcore scene stuff mm-hmm. and really liked some very, very aggressive, like very problem like music that was problematic for authority figures and my parents and i heard marilyn manson and i saw like the entire world freak out about like a guy wearing a leather mask and i was just like this is the dumbest shit on earth (laughs) this is the dumbest shit that's ever happened (laughs) yeah this guy is is i just sort of knew immediately and it's not because i'm smarter i have good taste or anything i wasn't smart and i had bad taste at the time (laughs) i just knew you just like felt it this is garbage and it is the most cynically designed garbage you have ever ever come across uh my only connection to marilyn manson is i was about seventh or eighth grade and i got a facebook facebook message from a girl in one of my classes that i'd never spoken to just and the message was, "Do you listen to Marilyn Manson?" And I said, "No, who's that?" She goes, "I think you would like them." Said, <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> I, was, I was not a rebellious child. I no. was an athlete <laughs> who wanted to do good in all of his classes. Uh, I did not like Marilyn Manson when I listened. <laughs> but Marilyn, Mar- that that skepticism of that. Then when Lincoln part or when Limp Bizkit came around, mm-hmm. uh, we're selling the same sort of like. You know, this is an act of rebellion for you to come to the warp tour. For you to purchase. Uh, yeah. I'm like, no, it isn't. Yeah. Like, you guys suck. Yeah, <laughs> like, you, you are all assholes. <laughs> I don't believe what I don't believe what you're here. saying. You're doing yeah. this for money. Fuck you. Yeah. Ah, the nineties were were strange. What I'm a time. Yeah, you you missed you missed a weird a weird time <sighs> in in American culture. Sad. Although the times that you're not missing, also weird. Yeah, of course. And the times <laughs> yeah. that I'm living in, also yeah. weird. Yeah, also very strange. So there's, you're not, you didn't actually like miss out on the experience of it. It's not like you're gonna have a boring existence <laughs> because of it. Well, well, we might have a short existence. Yeah. <laughs> we might have a short one. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll just plenty crack, weird though. <laughs> crack open Google News. Oh, Australia burned down. Oh, oh, oh well, that's we... something that happened. What is that? I'm seeing something on my computer. It seems that we drone striked uh, an Iranian general at an international airport. I don't know. It seems we drone striked the lead general of a country we are not at war with at an international airport where American flights are flying in two hours later. That seems like something yeah. we should not have done. Huh. Huh. Well, hopefully we make it through. 
And it's all on the same little screen that you watch Monsters University on. Yeah, it's all on the same screen that I watch The Circle, the new reality TV show from Netflix on. Yeah. Which, by the way, great show. Everyone should watch it. It's really good. There's a reality TV show called The Circle and it's on Netflix? It's really okay. good. It's, it's, it's really, really, good. really, really good. It's a bunch of people have to sit in isolated apartments, fully isolated. Uh, they will not see or speak to anyone. They have to become the most popular. They're on like a social media network, but it's just the eight of them. And they can either choose to play themselves or play as someone else, play as a catfish. And it's... So good. It's so, so good. I don't know why it's so good. It just is. Huh. It, it's just, it's kind of genuine. It's kind of, it's very funny. It's relevant, so I guess. So it's like a televised game of like secret werewolf? Yeah. Okay. Some people are, people are, some people are trying to sniff out the catfish, but there's also a strategy to the game of who cares? If, you, if you're the most popular, you win $100,000. Okay. So some people figure out the strategy of why would I try and sniff out the fake people? Why don't I just become their close friends? Why don't I just become everyone's friend? Um, that's how you win the money, man. That's how you win the money. It's yeah, a good game. We watched three seasons of it. Oh my God. <laughs> I, 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 I put on Monsters University. I made it three minutes into Monsters <laughs> University. Before you were like, yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> I'm good. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. Like, oh, this is for six-year-olds. Yeah, no, I saw that in theaters. I, I, I am the one. Oh, you saw that in theaters? Yeah, I saw it in theaters. Uh, Sorry I, about that. That's okay. It was a requirement at the time. But I don't I don't ever want to see it again. I don't. I'm not mad at Up. Sure. I'm not mad at, I'm not mad at movies that are, like, it, that are... They're also bonkers and have sure. unbelievable premises, but I'm kind of uniquely mad at monsters in, in university because it was very crass. It was yeah. very, very crassly calculated. Yeah. It was aimed to get the butts in the seats of people who yep. watched Monsters Inc. when they were kids, and now they're going off to university. So get them in the butt. Get them in the. Get them in the freaking theater. We'll make a lot of money off those kids. Yeah. Set them down in front of this. Someday Pixar will learn how to animate someone's jawline. They do really good with they do really good with characters who don't have jawbones. Yeah. Someday they'll have to make somebody with a a, a sharp Brad Pitt jawline. Well, they tried with uh, the Ed Asner's character in Up. Oh, the old man. Yeah, yeah, and Didn't, it looks ooh, like a square head. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Pixar, you should call me if you want yeah. uh, somebody who knows how to animate or something. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I can I can draw I can draw one cartoon guy. <laughs> I basically draw like a, a cartoon version of myself. I can I can draw a char draw caricature of myself. Who's the head cheese head of the of the week? Um, Devontae Adams. Yeah, he had a good game. Nine receptions for 138 yards on 11 targets. That's pretty dang good. That's that's pretty dang good. Uh, who's our cheese head of the postseason? Well, it was Devontae Adams Devontae both Adams games. So it's right. probably Devontae um, Adams. Cheese head of the season. 
Might have to be Devontae Adams. <laughs> Might be Devontae Adams. I was going to say really Matt good year. Or Brian Gukunst. Um, or Zedarius Smith. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right. If if we were giving more comprehensive awards, everyone yeah. would be every one of those people mentioned would win one yeah. or get a good, very good grade. But I think Zedarius Smith has a lot to do with with what went right this season. Yeah, he had a he had a uh, an incredible season, and he deserves uh, at least consideration for Defensive Player of the Year. He was he was as good as Khalil Mack was last year. He was. Uh, you know, he was stellar. Very few people's personalities come through from underneath pads and a yeah. helmet and a oh television screen. Yeah, a lot. A lot of football players become like face faceless, nameless guys that that we cheer for. And yeah. Darius Smith is not one of those guys. No, nope. you can you can you can see what kind of what kind of player he is and and what kind of energy he projects from from a tiny little computer screen. Yeah. And, and, and how he, you know, and how he, how he treats his, his team and, and the equipment managers and, you know, everybody involved with the organization. Um, you know, I, I still think about the, um, time he got a sack and pulls his Jersey up and it's like the name of, uh, one of the equipment managers, mothers, who's having a, who's having a hard time with her health, uh, at the time. And I don't know. I thought that was such a nice, you know, it's a silly thing of like, let's write it in Sharpie on my jersey, underneath my jersey. Like, it doesn't do anything, really. But it is, you know, just this is this not of like, Mr. Equipment Manager, whatever your name is, I don't know. You're a part of this team too. Your mother's a part of this team too. We're looking out for you. We're looking out for her. I thought that was, uh, you know, I think the key of 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 what I think of when I think of Wisconsin, what I think of when I think of Green Bay is is a very community, a very small, um, tight knit group. Um, and uh, I don't know that really touched me. Yeah, a lot of moments like that for for Zedaria Smith all no. throughout the season, where there's just a there's a a bigger focus. And a lot of times when we talk about guys who have bigger focuses, Richard Sherman comes up a lot. Yeah, but Richard Sherman, for better or worse, you know, he's an impeccable football player, but he's he comes across as much more calculating. Yeah. More of a, just a, a, it's a smart guy, a coldly yeah. intelligent guy yeah. who's going to like tell you how it is. Darius Smith has a different, a different way of, of different energy of, of projecting that energy yeah. And, yeah. and like be, yeah, being, he's, he's very smart, but it's in a very, very warm kind of way. So yeah. Yeah. He's cheese head of the year. All right, that's Cheeseheads in Chicago land. If you if you listen to the end of this episode, or even what if you, you made doing? it to the point where we started talking about football, I applaud you yeah. very much. Sure. Uh, this this has become sort of an anti-art podcast at this point. Audio art. <laughs> yeah. This has become no wave. <laughs> it's a postmodern podcast. Yeah. Stay tuned this offseason where it's just about neutral milk hotel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do a song-by-song song breakdown every episode uh, this offseason. We'll start with the uh, song against sex, and we'll move through on every island. Um, you know, maybe we'll cover some of the unreleased stuff. Maybe we won't. Who knows? We'll see. Until next time. Stay cheesy, baby.